Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Welcome to this third episode of the podcast, 12 Dynamics for Impact to Reach the Unchurched. We've uh, looked at a couple of dynamics. Dynamic number one is get help. Dynamic number two, focus on where God is working, moving, and blessing. According to John 5.19, when Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. Now let's take a look at dynamic number three. Dynamic number three has to do with prayer. I want to encourage you to start a prayer movement in your church. Jesus said something very powerful. He said, the harvest is large. Let me just stop right there. Do you believe that? Or have you been lulled by the enemy, by your humanity, to the idea that, you know what, it just... It's no use. We just can't make an impact on our community. We just can't move the church forward. We just have too many things against us in our nation. It's to you and to me, universally to everyone, every Christian, in every moment, in every age of history, Jesus says the harvest is large. That's not the issue. That's not the challenge. Here's the challenge. The harvest is large. But the workers are few. I want to just unpack that a little bit. The workers are few. You know, there are a lot of people that work hard in churches. We have churches all over the nation that are declining, dying, losing ground, failing to reach the next generation, whatever you want to say. And there are people busy everywhere. Burnout is right around the corner for a lot of people in churches. Not only the staff, but a lot of the people in the church as well. Yeah, they're working, but they're not working as strategically. And so they don't see the harvest because they're not doing harvest work. That's part of the drift of congregations. It's easy to get busy in the church. And it's really easy to have somebody every three weeks come up with a new idea for a new program to wear out more people. Oh, my gosh. More churches do too many things than do too few things. No, the the strategic workers, the people that are in the field doing the right things to get a harvest, I know a little bit about that. I live on a a tree farm that's also a wildlife habitat. The last couple of years, I've planted some corn for the animals. We've got turkeys, deer, I mean, you name it. we got all kinds of stuff. So I'm supposed to plant some stuff for the animals. I planted some corn two years in a row. Absolutely got nothing. Got the wrong fertilizer or something. I'm going to figure it out. But it's humiliating. I just don't get anything. Half a mile down the road, I've got real farmers that know what they're doing. They plant way more corn for harvest, for money. I pass by their corn. It's eight feet tall. looks really great. I got nothing. Wrong strategy. I'm not doing something right. I'll figure it out one of these days. In fact, I'm going to get help this week from somebody that knows what they're doing. It's kind of like the church, you know? We work like crazy, but we don't see the harvest. What are you going to do? Blame God? Are you going to blame people that, oh, they're just not interested in Christianity? Come on, own up to this. Maybe you're not doing the right stuff the right way. I mean, don't take it personally. You weren't trained to be a missionary to a pagan nation. You don't know how to reach people that are third-generation non-Christians, bombarded by movies and television and radio and all sorts of things that are about as far from God as you can get. A culture that's going down the toilet faster than we can figure it out. But we haven't figured it out. God hasn't figured it out. It's you, the church. So, yeah, the harvest is large, but the workers are few. That doesn't mean people aren't burning themselves out. You might have tons of people that are working in your church, 
doing the wrong things or in the wrong way. So back to Jesus. The harvest is large, but the workers are few in however you define few. And then what does Jesus say? Interestingly, he says, pray, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send. That's that word send missio in Latin missionary in English, that he would send all these workers as missionaries, if they're sent, they're workers that are missionaries, into the harvest, into his harvest. Not somebody else's harvest, not the world's harvest. You know, so many churches work so hard at things that don't reach people for Jesus' harvest, the harvest of souls, people who become Christians, people who are disciples. You know, the Great Commission to make disciples. Man, things go on in churches And nobody measures their effectiveness for the one goal Jesus gave us, to make disciples of him. It's his harvest. So the operative action word here is pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers into his harvest. Well, that verse from Matthew 9, 37, 38, packed, isn't it? Do you believe the harvest is large? Or have you let the world cause you to believe that the harvest is small? People aren't interested. So the challenge of this dynamic is to start a prayer movement in your church. So here's what you do. Get people in your church to list the unchurched people in their social network. And we'll talk about that in another way a little bit later under another dynamic. But, yeah, list the people you know in your social network that are unchurched. You're not going to judge whether they have Jesus in their heart because the Bible says don't judge people or yourself. You're going to get judged. But observe those people that are functionally unchurched. They don't go to church at Christmas, Easter, any time that anybody might go to church. And just say, well, you know, maybe they're part of our harvest field because I have a relationship with them. Have them list those people. Put that on a list somewhere where they go every day. Like when they get ready in the bathroom in the morning. Put it on the mirror, those people. And just challenge people to pray for them every day. You might even put Matthew 9, 37, 38 at the bottom. That says, the harvest is large, the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers into his harvest. Have them pray that God would send workers into his harvest. They might pray like crazy that the staff would work harder. But I'll tell you what, if he answers that prayer, (laughs) it's a dangerous prayer. (laughs) Yeah, he's going to send them because they have the relationship with the person the staff doesn't. But they don't know that. That's okay. Get them praying. Just pray. That's all. That's all Jesus asks you to do is have them pray. Get them to pray. You get a praying church to pray for the harvest. Yeah, that's dynamic number three. Dynamic number four. Develop the culture of the priesthood of all believers and the concept of spiritual gifts. Here's an interesting fact of history. Ever since Pentecost, from then on, All down through history, every single time there was a renewal movement, including the early church, in any country, anywhere, whenever there was a revival where many, many people came to Christ, and there's been lots of them over the centuries, of all the teachings that have been resurrected for Christian people, I don't mean the basic teaching that Jesus is the Savior, but I mean those strategy teachings of all the teachings There are two that stand out every single time there's a revival. And if you're not interested in that, you're listening to the wrong podcast. Number one, the priesthood of all believers. Quit practicing this idea that we have 
people on staff to do ministry. It's not in the Bible. In the Bible, Ephesians 4, it says there are apostles, there are prophets, there are evangelists, there are pastors and teachers, and these people have a special role. Their role, besides all the other spiritual gifts, their role is a leadership role, and their job, in the next verse, is to equip God's people to do the work of ministry, not to do the ministry. I just don't get it. I see so many churches where the staff is absolutely next to dead, just exhausted, working so many hours, and not equipping people to do ministry. If the people of your church were equipped to do ministry in their spare time, no matter what the size of the church is, and no matter what the size of your staff is, those people in their spare time could do more ministry more effectively, particularly to more unchurched people, than a staff, every person working 80 hours a week. Do the math. Plus, they get the thrill of seeing God work in their lives. What do you think that does to people? What do you think that does to a church? I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. It's just so exciting to see God work through you in another person. I mean, who gets that kind of benefit but Christians? So that's the priesthood of all believers. And if you're going to equip, if you're going to take that seriously among your staff at your church and say, listen, quit doing ministry. Don't ever do ministry alone. Always take someone with you that you're equipping. And when you get them equipped, equip someone else. And then equip someone else in every area of ministry. Everything. There's no limit to that. Forget this thing where you've got to be ordained to do whatever. If you ever know anything about the Reformation, Martin Luther was a pretty conservative guy in terms of the Bible, knew his Bible. Martin Luther said, your baptism is your ordination. If you're baptized, you're ordained. We make it some highfalutin office where, oh, yeah, nobody can do this, nobody can do that, you know, because they might make a mistake. If you haven't trained them well, the mistake's on you if you're a staff person. If they make a mistake, God will forgive them. And they'll learn from their mistake, and they'll do better ministry. But if you take all that ministry away from them, then you have a bunch of consumers out there and a bunch of exhausted staff. That's not God's plan. Look in the Bible, Ephesians 4. So when you equip people to do ministry, the second thing that is part of every revival, besides the priesthood of all believers, everybody's a minister, is spiritual gifts. It says very clearly in the Bible, in the New Testament, that everybody has been given gifts by the Holy Spirit. And one of your objectives of life as a Christian and one of your objectives as one of those leaders in the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, one of your jobs is to help people discover, develop, and use their spiritual gifts. That's part of discipling. Without that, you're not working according to the Bible. So in several places across the Bible, in the New Testament, you have spiritual gifts. If people don't know their spiritual gifts, they don't know their spiritual job description. In fact, they don't know God's plan for their life. I just love this area of teaching. In fact, I just completed writing a book called God's Plan for You, Discover Your Spiritual Gifts. And it has two spiritual gift surveys in it, and, and it has all the ways that spiritual gifts apply to the church. And I'm excited about people learning about their spiritual gifts and putting them into use. Nobody has all the gifts, but everybody has some of the gifts. And you don't get bent out of shape because somebody's got gifts you don't have because who are you to question the Holy Spirit? You and I can't believe, I can't believe that so many churches have a volunteer program 
that has been elevated to the level of sacred. There is nothing, absolutely nothing about the concept of volunteers in the Bible. Jesus never said, hey, can I get a volunteer? If you saw a film with Jesus and he said that, you'd walk out of the theater. You walk into your church. Chances are, this is like, oh, yeah, we have a volunteer program. Yeah, we got this running like a well-oiled machine. Well, guess what? Any secular organization can have volunteers, but not the church. Do you remember Jesus said, my kingdom is not, not like this world. Volunteer programs try to recruit people to get a job done in the church. That is not God's or the Bible philosophy of ministry. God does not use people to do jobs. He selects people and gifts people to have a calling. And there is a world of difference. A world of difference. It's a divine calling. There's nothing about Christianity and there's nothing about the church that is supposed to use people. Because when you find your gift mix and when you find your niche that the Holy Spirit has given to you, you don't feel used. You discover God's plan uniquely for you. And that is energizing beyond description. It is not a human concept. You can't even describe a calling because it's a God thing. It is so powerful, people die for Jesus. People travel and leave their families and never see them again and live in some place that doesn't have food that they are used to eating, doesn't have living conditions, anything like they have ever been used to. They die an early death of a disease they don't even have in their own homeland because they have the gift of missionary. And they go down smiling, martyrs. People that work tirelessly in mission because they have a calling and they found their sweet spot that has been ordained by God through their baptism, through the Holy Spirit, who's given them some gifts. And their gift mix is unlike anybody else in their church. Very likely. You can have a church of 500 people. And when we do the spiritual gift survey, if if you took all the gifts and, and we do encourage that they be computerized so that when you have a need in the church, you go to people that have that gift and then give them the opportunity, not try to twist somebody's arm to do something they're not gifted for. But when you take that computer file and collapse it by gift profile, and you might have two or three or four dominant gifts and three or four or five maybe subordinate gifts or whatever. Nobody's the same. When you put them all together, you might not have the two identical dominant and subordinate gift mixes of anyone in a church of 500. You know why? Because you are a very special person. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit has got a, a unique plan for you. And you know what? You're never going to know that plan unless you grab this dynamic number four. And understand, number one, you're part of a priesthood of believers, and you have a ministry, even if it's part-time. And, number two, you have spiritual gifts that shape and direct that ministry or ministries. So, people can't possibly know their spiritual job description, their spiritual calling, their spiritual ministry, without knowing their spiritual gift. Those gifts will help you find your niche. You find your niche, nobody has to goad you. Nobody has to pat you on the back. Nobody has to try to get you to feel like you're obligated because you're a member of the church. 
None of that. You're on fire. You have the fire of the Holy Spirit. You have the fire of Pentecost because you're using your gifts because you're in God's plan for your life. Now, when you get this dynamic number four right, even though you're not going to get everybody in your church to do this, but you get this with, I don't know, 60% of the people of your church or more, which everybody ought to be able to do that, every church. You get that done in your church, here's what's going to happen. Your church is going to be a climate of love. It's going to be the biggest love fest you ever saw in the spiritual sense, spiritual love fest. You know what else? Your church is going to grow. It's going to grow faster than you ever imagined it could. How do I know that? I know. You think, oh, yeah, I could solve the yeah, over a few thousand churches, and yeah, I've seen this happen, and yeah, yeah, from evidence, yeah, I get it. Oh, I got better evidence than that. Check it out. Ephesians 4.16. Right after, it says that these people with these offices of ministry, these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, when these people equip God's people to do ministry, and they become the priesthood of all believers, and they learn about their spiritual gifts, and they put them to use, and they find their calling, and they're motivated by something way beyond humanity. Ephesians 4.16 says, When people know and use their gifts, the church grows and builds itself up in love. That's where it comes from. That's how I know. That's what you can see. That's what you can experience in your church. It is what will happen. Will it happen instantly? <laughs> no way. You know why? It's not a program, and don't you make it one. I can't believe we've got so many churches that use the Spiritual Gifts book and the surveys, and boom, on a weekend, have a workshop, whatever. And that's a great way to start. That's one way to start. But they don't do the follow-up. They don't learn more about the gifts. Each gift, each person learns about each gift that they have and learns where they fit in the church and why they fit in the church and how they fit in the church doesn't go through that further study that takes time and effort that is part of a enculturation process. Our non-Christian culture is so quick fix, you know, ask Siri, get the answer right away. No. Discipling people in their spiritual gifts. Discipling people to learn that they're ministers, that they're part of the priesthood. It just drives me nuts when people take that spiritual gifts book God's plan for your life, and they use it like, boom. Okay, been there, done that. Everybody took the survey. Yep, let's get a committee. Yeah, let's ask a bunch of people who we don't know their spiritual gifts. Well, let's just ask them because they're willing, they're volunteers, yeah, to make a list of all the gifts and get it on a computer, yeah. And then we'll access it, yeah. And those people never really learned to be the priesthood of all believers and never coached and never read the rest of the book. Or do what it says, and they have a quick-fix program that goes nowhere. It's like I'm going to diet two days and lose weight. It ain't going to happen, and you know it. I know it's better to eat certain kinds of food, for sure. But there's more to it than that. You have to exercise. And using your gifts is spiritual exercise. Becoming discipled into the priesthood of all believers, discipled into your ministry niche where your gifts belong, that's a process. And we'll talk about that later on under another dynamic. Get over the quick fix. 
Jesus spent three years with the disciples, but you're going to do it on a weekend? Come on. I'm telling you this for sure. You cannot coordinate effective ministry without connecting and discipling individuals to ministries in which the Holy Spirit has gifted them. You will never see the fruit ever unless you pay the price. Jesus modeled it. If you work really hard at it in your church, the three years Jesus used with the disciples, yeah, it could take you three years to see any momentum. But that won't end then. It never ends. Because there are always new Christians. And there are new Christians because you got this thing moving now. And so you're going to have new people. Well, they need to discover their spiritual gifts. They need to be discipled into a ministry by someone who's doing that ministry. But I'll tell you this, it's an exponential deal. It grows not by one plus one is two. It grows with five plus four is nine plus five is way more than 13 or 14 or 15. It grows exponentially because disciples disciple people and multiply. And once you get the multiplication flywheel going, you go from some local church to a movement. Now you're cooking the way Jesus had in mind. Now you're looking like the New Testament. But you've got to pay the price. The disciples did three years. Jesus did, even before he went to the cross and paid that one. Just an aside, and we'll talk about this in another context on another episode. Those with the gift of evangelism, for example, you might think, oh, yeah, we're going to get a lot of people with that. We're going to go out and tear up the country all around us and get people for Jesus. Well, actually, those with the gift of evangelism in most churches are somewhere around 10% of the people. What you may not understand is that there is a corresponding role to every gift. And the gift of evangelism is something, if you have the gift, you should do that all the time. You should never, you don't work with Christians. You should always be around unchurched people. That's where you should do your ministry, with unchurched people. Don't, don't sign up for anything at the church. Do things out there in the world. But there's a corresponding role for everybody, and that's called being a witness. There's a corresponding role to every gift. We'll look at that. And so, yeah, you may not knock on doors and talk to strangers. That's for the evangelists. But when you start working with gifts and understand the corresponding roles, God will explode your church in the right way. I don't mean explode and die. I mean explode and grow, multiply. Yeah, you just can't beat God's plan, I'm telling you. So, that's dynamic number four of the 12 dynamics to reach the unchurched. Dynamic number four, develop a culture of the priesthood of all believers and spiritual gifts. And get rid of the volunteer stuff. Amen? See you next time. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, available now wherever books are sold.